Welcome to Season 5 of the Art of Teaching Podcast. My name is Matthew Green and I'm so grateful that you took the time to listen. When I started this podcast at the beginning of 2021, I had no idea that the episodes and discussions would resonate with so many educators across the globe. So thank you to all those that have downloaded, listened to, shared and reviewed the podcast. It means the world to know that there are teachers out there that are benefiting from these discussions. Today I have the great privilege of introducing you to Carolyn Blandon. Carolyn has over 30 years experience in both private and independent education settings. She brings 12 years of principal expertise to her role as principal of both the Fairfield and Blacktown Warakiri College campuses. Carolyn is committed to providing educational opportunities that support young people in achieving their goals to become independent and confident members of their community. Carolyn was an amazing guest and her unwavering commitment to her students is nothing short of awe-inspiring. I hope that you get as much out of our discussion as I did. Carolyn, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time. It's lovely to talk to you. Thank you, Matthew. It's a pleasure to meet with you today. And where are you? Uh, where are you phoning in from? Oh, I'm from home. I've just come back from my walk. Lovely. It's very nice. We were walking around the waterfront, and the uh, coffee factory across the bay was roasting. So the smell oh. of roasting coffee was coming across the golf course. So I oh. had my shot, but somewhat differently from normal. Goodness me, that sounds wonderful. And unfortunately, uh, all good things have to come to an end and you'll be returning to work soon. Uh, which, how, how do you feel about that? How have you enjoyed oh, your no, I've been at work for the last two weeks, actually. Oh, so I think fun. school holidays are for, uh, are, are, are for uh, students, not necessarily for principals. Um, I'm sure you're working all the way through. Oh, no, no, I had a week's camping in the Cyclone Seth up near Coffs Harbour. It was a little Gosh. bit wet, but it was still lots of fun. Gosh, uh, quite possibly the most important um, uh, question of our interview, what is your coffee order? Very large and very hot. Okay. Black coffee, white coffee? I know, very white. Okay, lovely. <laughs> coffee wimp. <laughs> to know. Um, is there an item that is still on your bucket list? Oh, yes, yes. I want to go to Eastern Europe. Uh, I want to go to Prague. Oh. I want to go down to Slovenia, down the river. I want to see all of that. Lovely. Is is there any particular reason for that, or is it just like, do you have um, a family there, or is it just something which you'd love to? No, no. I've just heard it's very beautiful, and it's part of the world I've never been to. And uh, in the early days when I was travelling, it was closed. You couldn't go there, and so I'd want to. Now it's COVID time; it's closed again. But I'll get there. You'll get there one day. Absolutely. Uh, is there a book uh, that has made you stop and reconsider everything? It could be within your field in education um, or it could be more broadly than that. Uh, two, actually. Lovely. Uh, one uh, is called Humankind by uh, Rutger Bergman. Yep. Really interesting book about really the way humans might be genetically programmed to be kind to each other. I, I'm, in, I'm interested in anthropology and social histories and that sort of 
literature chart. Wow. Uh, and the other thing is a book by Philip Yancey called What's So Amazing About Grace. Wow. Interesting. And why, uh, why were those, you talked about humankind, why was the second one so meaningful to you? I think grace is what I would describe as undeserved forgiveness. Yeah. And it's something that you as a father would uh, give your, your children an experience of. Yeah. No matter what they do, you will still forgive them. You will still love them. Absolutely. And I think a lot of my students don't have that experience. They don't come from families where they have that absolutely firm belief that they will always be loved and forgiven regardless of what happens. And so that's a major goal for us at our school, to give our students an experience of grace. Wow, wow. That's, um, that's really powerful. And we, we will get into the work, the incredible work that you're doing at your wonderful school um, in a moment. And there are so many questions I have about how you um, create an atmosphere, um, uh, a wonderful learning environment for your students. And um, I, I can't wait to, to dig into that a little bit more. Um, but just before we jump into that, what was your uh, upbringing like? And what are you most grateful for from your parents? Oh, I had the perfect upbringing. Uh, I had a family of three children, two lovely parents. My mum was an internationally acclaimed inventor. Wow. She actually also has started life as the chemist making Vegemite. So uh, we would be driving through eastern Sydney and mum would suddenly tell you which was the brewery we were driving past because she recognised the smell of the yeast. Gosh. Um, and my dad uh, was a consultant in the clothing industry. So uh, wow. I was very, very fortunate. We used to go camping as kids. And Gosh. Um, we had a really, really lovely life. I was pretty awful at sport. Most things I think I was blind and didn't, wasn't very fit. So I used to play golf and judo. Wow. That sounds like a, um, that sounds like a wonderful and very eclectic uh, upbringing. I mean, you've got a, a mum that, um, uh, you, you've got an inventor. You've got a, a, a entre, you've got an entrepreneurial streak in your family. Do you think that has served you well in your profession? Do you, do you... absolutely? Uh, I think that my parents encouraged us to have a really broad range of interests. Yeah, and so that's been essential because I think as a principle, you need a broad range of skills. Yeah, and so when you've You've been encouraged as a child to realise that everything can be worthwhile learning yeah. and everything can be interesting. And, well, why not just give it a go? Yeah. Uh, that's really good. I mean, my philosophy is uh, let's look at the worst case scenario. If I can live with that, then I'll take the risk and go for it. Fantastic. And you're, you haven't always, um, obviously, your current role is a principal, um, but you haven't always, you've kind of moved in and out of education a little bit, haven't you? You haven't always, your, your career hasn't necessarily followed a, a straight trajectory. Um, would you mind talking to me a little bit about that and, and how you think that has served you uh, in your current role as principal? Um, when I was in my final year of high school, I went to the States as an exchange student. Yeah. And uh, I met a lot of people from many, many different countries. We used to go around different parts of America and we'd uh, have to give speeches and stay with different families and so on. So I came back to Australia partway through uh, the year and got a job with uh, a building society, just like a little bank. Yeah. 
uh, and worked there all through my university degree, which was great because then uh, after a couple of years teaching, I then got a job with the Association of Building Societies. And that was lovely. I was a school education officer. I used to go to many, many schools. I went to about 150 schools in the years I was there. And it taught me a lot about schooling, about the variety of schools from little country schools and central schools, private schools, public schools. And I learned a lot about what was important in a good school. Yeah. And it wasn't necessarily the money that the students had. It was the way the teachers responded to the students and modeled the students how to be. And yeah. so I enjoyed that. And then uh, later I went back to school and I worked at, um, at Knox Grammar School yeah. in, as a teacher and a boarding house master. So I was there for 16 years. Uh, and then I went to Tara as the Director of Studies and Deputy Principal, then Meriden as Principal. And then I decided to move out again and I went to work in a consortium. So I've been involved in a $52 million construction project. Gosh. Um, working with the armed forces in Australia in a water resource technology project, which they were very interested in in terms of their disaster relief and future land warfare. Uh, and I did some work in Taiwan at a university there teaching Western European culture. I don't mean in a theoretical sense. I mean in the sense of um, postgraduate students studying engineering and nanotechnology who wanted to get jobs in uh, Europe, in Australia, and in America. Now, I'm delighted to say some of my students got jobs in Google and Nokia and all sorts of places, dream jobs in the States as a result. Of uh, and then also I was involved in setting up a school in China. Um, you have to have a Chinese partner to do that. And we worked with the university in Shandong because lots ha what happened is many Chinese students come to Australia. There's five families supporting them. Uh, they come here, they've got no English, they're about 15 years old, and they're expected to do an HSC and get into medicine. Uh, and there's huge familial pressure on them. And then the poor kids just crack. And they become anxious, get depression, they do three oh. units like dong, uh, and it's terrible. So our goal was to have a school where they could do their HSC in China, where they had support from families or from other Chinese-speaking um, carers, yeah. they could then uh, graduate with an Australian HSC to an Australian university wow. and not come here till they were old enough to deal with the separation. Yeah, wow. Wow. And like, then I was looking for something a bit different. So I ended up at a, an Armenian school, which was fabulous. Oh, yeah. I got to go to Armenia and I met um, several of the ministers from government there and um, had a fantastic time, went to Lebanon with the Armenian community, looked at their schools there also. Uh, and then I was looking for something else a bit different. And I uh, saw the role at Warwick Hillary come up. And I thought, well, every morning I would wake up and think, if I was at a school like this, I could do these sorts of things. And I thought, no, yeah. I'm excited about this. So wow. I contacted them and I've been there eight years. And it's been the most interesting job I've had. I love it. A saying that I have heard is that looking back, things make sense. It's just difficult to connect the dots when you're in the moment. Uh, was that uh, the case for you? Um, did you have a clear path of, of, of where you were going or were you just following your, your interests? No, I didn't have a clear path. Everything I did, it was just new and interesting and I wanted to do it very well. And I 
enjoyed meeting new people and making connections. And yeah. what happens then is that you drag up things from your past experience that you can apply in your present context. Yeah. And that's why it's, I think, always good to take a new opportunity because you never know where it's going to lead you yeah. or how it will benefit you in the future. So wow. I would say when in doubt, give it a go. Well, that's that's great advice. And obviously, as your, your current role um, at Warakiri College um, is consumes the, I shouldn't say consumes, uh, takes up the majority of your time and your focus. Um, but what makes it such a special place? Oh, the students. I mean, any school is made special by the students. Yeah. We have students who are different from the ones I've met in other schools. Yeah. And... What they, why they're different is because they feel as though they don't fit and they often uh, have an experience of rejection. Yeah. And what's lovely about Warakiri is that we can change that experience. And our staff, and I not just mean the teachers, I mean all the staff, are really committed to enfolding each student, each young person in a different experience. So... When someone comes to school after two weeks of absence, no one says, well, where the hell have you been? Yeah. I say, oh, it's lovely to see you. How are you? Are you okay? And it's a whole different experience. And the, the student who's expecting to be aroused on says, oh, yeah, and they're just glad to be there. And they feel important. And we just spend time with them. Um, students are often out of class because they find class... Um, difficult, especially if they have really low literacy rates, classes confronting and disempowering because they can't read the text and they don't want anyone to know they can't read. And cool. so they play up and they then ask to leave. So sometimes I just go and sit next to somebody who's sitting on a lounge and have a chat. And, and we have hand-knitted um, granny rugs. And sometimes the students just put a granny rug around them and sit in the lounge and grab a teddy bear or something and calm down and feel better and people right. don't say get back to class we just say hey how are you going can I have a chat wow so yeah. it's a different sort of environment altogether That's and it. it's very much a case of looking at Maslow before boom mm. you've got to get that stuff with Maslow's hierarchy and practically how do you create time to do that um I know that probably sounds like an obvious question but the demands that would be on your time. I, I, I know how hard principals work because I have the privilege of working with them. Um, how on earth, I think a lot of, a lot of principal, principals would talk about keeping students first and would try their best. And, but how do you um, practically find that time to, um, to step away from your desk, to turn emails off, to, um, to prioritize students and connections? I have a very good team. That makes a big difference. Yeah. Uh, I, just leave the emails to a different part of the day. So I work, I come in well before the students do, and I leave many hours after they leave. So there's time in that middle bit to actually just be with them. Yeah. I have to say, though, it's also really, really important to just be with the staff. One of the things I've learned as a principal, I've been a principal for about 18 years um, in different contexts, and I used to think that the job was to do the emails and do the paperwork and all that administrative stuff. And, yes, you have to make sure that's all done, but that's not the job. The really important job is to spend time with the staff 
that's the admin staff, it's the facility staff, it's the teaching staff, all of them, and just talk with them. Acknowledge that they're people who are important to you, that you're going to give them time. Yeah. And there's a connection point with every one of them. You know, oh, I really like your scarf. Oh, what project have you got on today? Oh, you know, how was your weekend? How's your, is your dog better? You know, those sorts of things. And the same with the students. Mm -hmm. uh, it's actually the people work that is the work. It's, it's not work in the sense of it's onerous. Yeah. It's, it's work in the sense of that's the important part. Wow. If people feel that you're approachable or that you care about them, that you're interested, then they'll talk to you and it just often saves so many issues. Wow. Up. Uh, and with same with the students, you know, they'll they'll tell you what's happening in their lives. They're very open mm. once they trust you, and that's real privilege, really. Because obviously, uh, sorry, you mentioned that you've been working in the role for uh, eighteen years, um, on and off. Um, obviously, in, in very different school contexts to your current school yeah. context. Um, what were you like in your early years as a principal? And um, if you could give yourself um, a little bit of advice, what would that be? I shudder to think what I was like as an early career teacher. Uh, and I'm assuming, oh, goodness me. Um, but what advice would you give yourself um, looking back? Um, I think I would say it's really important to make sure you don't allow yourself to be misunderstood. Sometimes we give an impression that uh, when someone's given us some advice that we're going to follow it. My leadership style tends to be consultative, so I will ask opinions from lots of different people. But then they get all upset when you don't go away and follow their advice because they think they gave the best piece of advice. I, am, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yes. Actually, five or six different people you've consulted and your solution or your outcome is a, a blend of all of those great ideas. Hmm. Um, but then people say, well, she didn't listen. And <laughs> she did listen. She just listened to a whole bunch of people. Yeah. Uh, she you just went in the other talking. conversations. Yeah. That's right. So I think that I would say when you're, being consultative, it's important to set that context very clearly. Yeah, yeah. So, so people know that theirs isn't the only piece of advice. So, Carolyn, uh, Warakiri has been dubbed the last resort for students. Why do you think this is? Because we take students that nobody else will accept. Yeah. Uh, for example, we had a young girl who was married when she was in Iran and she came to Australia and wanted to do her Year 10 and her HSC. And the schools told her she was too old and she was married, so she couldn't come to a mainstream school. And she came to us when she was about 18 and she graduated when she was 21. She's got into study health sciences at university. Gosh. And she says her big dream is to do her Master of Education and come and teach at Warakiri. And she's just recently had a baby, which is lovely. But she would not have had a chance to get a, an HSC Otherwise, I mean, some places like TAFE will let you do that, but they're expensive. TAFE is not free mm -hmm. for many people. And our school has no charges, no fees. We provide all the resources. I think the other people who come are students who sometimes have gender transition contexts and they, they feel um, unwelcome in a single-sex school of the gender they don't think they are. 
uh, or they don't want to wear a frock when they feel that they're a bloke. Um, sometimes there's students who've been uh, in jail and they really aren't accepted into any school because of sort of history they have. And we've had some amazing success from young people who've had really serious crimes, but we've worked with them and they've sometimes been incarcerated. We've sent work with them. I remember my first visit to a student in Cobham was pretty confronting. I'd never been in a jail before. It's a pretty scary place. Um, but it was it was good to go and, and to see the young man and he subsequently served his time, came back and got his HSC and left all his criminal friends behind and he's doing really well. There was a while we thought he would go back to crime, but he managed to stay with us long enough that he's completely turned his life around. So I think the other group of people that come to us are um, young people who've got really um, high anxiety or mental health problems. Yeah. And we can work with them on um, flexible attendance and things like that. And we're actually the first independent school to be accredited to give distance education. Gosh. Students. Um, a lot of kids can't get into the uh, government correspondence school because you have to have very uh, strong psychiatric reports. And many of the young people we work with don't have access to a psychiatrist. You know, it's expensive or if it's free, you wait forever and then you miss the appointment. And, and we have different criteria. So we can take young people in a homeschooling distance education um, learning context, which other schools can't. And it does mean it's another pathway. So wow. we sort of take the little fish that John West rejects and we make them highly desirable. Wow, that's that's really beautiful and really lovely, um, really lovely to hear. Thank you for for sharing some of those stories. It sounds like such a wonderful place. I mean, I was watching a, um, I think it was a news report that was done on your lovely school, um, and there was a, a really um, lovely student there who was in the middle of a lesson and holding a baby and and um, learning while feeding a child while juggling these complex social relationships that um, that teenagers have. And I just thought it was a really a really beautiful picture of what is possible. I mean, there are, um, I guess schools are perceived as um, quite strict and quite rigid places and, and there is a place for that, but it was so lovely to see that there is space or you have created space within those frameworks for people to thrive. It was, I actually got quite emotional watching it. It was a, a really beautiful news article and I'll, I'll put the link to it um, in the show notes, but it seems like a really, really special bright place. Well, I think what you've got to do is look at, the needs that young people have, you yeah. know. And, and I think they need to have some faith in themselves and their ability and their value, you know, and they, they mm -hmm. need to have some, uh, some some hope for a future that's full of opportunity and achievement. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and they don't have that when they come to us, but but they can get it. Yeah. Uh, and that's often because, you know, they haven't got that sort of um, unconditional, unjudgmental, sustained acceptance and love. Wow. Wow. And that's what turns people around, I think. And I think we I think we all need that, don't we? We all need a little bit of extra yes. grace and a bit of kindness. We're just older kids. And so it's really, really lovely, really lovely to see. Um, Carolyn, you seem um, endlessly optimistic and, and passionate and, and, and um, you really seem to love what you do. How on earth do you maintain that energy and that unwavering 
commitment? Do you get tired? Do you get stressed? Um, how do you how do you look after yourself and make sure that you are uh, giving your best not only to your students but for for those people at home? Uh, I do walk a lot. So I walk about five kilometres in the morning around the waterfront with the oyster catchers and the herrings. It's not and a bad place to walk in the morning, is it? And the coffee smell. Yeah. Oh, lovely. That's rather nice. Uh, I have a lot of friends and I have a very uh, busy social life. Mm. So I might have six social events on the weekend and I, I try to be at home by myself two nights a week, but the rest of the time I'm with friends. And uh, I think that makes a big difference. And all my staff who are about the same age as my child uh, say, but your social life is bigger than ours. I say, yes, well, I'm a role model. No. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, though, is that, is that important to have a life outside of school? Because because I'm imagining, I would imagine that it could um, take over your whole life if you're not careful. Yes, and what it does is it helps yeah. you get into perspective. Mm. And I love ideas. I love discussing ideas. I love considering ideas. And the more people you're in touch with and the more places you go and organisations you're involved with, the more you have ideas you can bring to consider. So I'm on the board of a small international charity which supports women to control their fertility. Oh. Uh, for, you know, we started off when um, the lady whose idea it was said, you know, our grandmothers fought to give us the vote and our mothers fought to give us the right to access university freely. So what will be our legacy? And I thought that's a very inspiring question. And wow. this charity now has been going for 15 years. And what we do is we provide education and um, birth control technology to countries where women are expected to have 15 pregnancies and die, or simply to have more children than they can feed. And you can imagine the horror of watching your child die of starvation when you had no choice about having that child and you knew you could never feed. Gosh. So that's something else that I do. I think you've got to work in areas where you can make a contribution and we all find something like that. Wow. And that's my area. Have you, um, have you always um, prioritised things like that or were there times in your career where, um, uh, where you didn't put as much emphasis, emphasis on uh, doing things outside of school? Oh, no, you can't. I was running, I was working full time at Knox as a science teacher and running a boarding house at Knox, living in the boarding house with the boarders. Uh, and I had a very young child and um, that, that was pretty busy. Wow. Uh, and I think when I was principal at Merritt and a school like that uh, has um, something happening most nights, you know, there's plays and concerts and meetings and uh, it's a lot to do. If there's a night off, um, would be I'd get home at eight o'clock, stand up, have two packets of chips, two glasses of wine in 15 minutes. And my friend would <laughs> the say, essentials, yeah. You're a bit stressed tonight, eh? That was dinner, you know, I'm fine. <laughs> I'm fine, I'm not stressed, yeah. I'm just very, very alert. <laughs> uh, so, no, it hasn't always been um, relaxed, but I think we all go through times, uh, difficult yeah. times. The main thing is to focus on what's important. Uh, I think... Uh, if you have a religious faith, it's really important to maintain that. It makes a very big difference for me. It certainly has been a really empowering element of my life. Wow. And, uh, we have this little joke at my school when um, suddenly Carolyn just out of the blue finds a new premises that we can be in 
because the other one isn't ready or teachers arrive out of the blue that we didn't expect and something else magical happens, we get a grant for a quarter million dollars and, and people say, well, how do you make this happen? And Tina says, oh, Carolyn just prays about it. Yeah, it just <laughs> happens somehow, yeah. So, uh, you know, we have different things in our life that keep us strong. So that's what wow. keeps me strong. Wow, that's really, it's really lovely to hear. I know for myself that's a, a really significant um aspect of my life um and i think it's it's important to have a um to have a perspective that is outside of what you're doing right now and i think it's really important it definitely um gives me a sense of um my place in the world and not only my um the significance of what i feel like i'm supposed to do um but also the importance of understanding that you need to gain a little bit of perspective because it's not all about you no it's really a Really important and really lovely to hear that you have these things happening outside of your life that that in many ways sharpen what you do in the in the classroom and in the school. So thank you. It helps you deal with the students in a different way. So you know we we've had kids actually smash through doors to come into the school. Literally, uh, we, we've we've got a, a person shaped hole in the wall in one of our campuses where someone threw somebody else into the wall. We had it fixed when the board members were coming. But the important thing is to look at what the students do and say, let's get some perspective on this. You know, mm. They're not bad people. They're people who are dealing with difficult circumstances and they need some time and some care and some understanding and someone to put it in perspective. Yeah. I had a, a very wise tour guide who once said, few things are serious or fatal. And when you look at everything that happens in a school like ours, which can be an interesting place, yeah, do things are serious or fatal. And if everyone knows that someone cares for them and loves them and will look after them, it changes the whole perspective. Wow. Has there ever been a point, uh, Carolyn, where you thought, look, this is too much. <laughs> There's a lot going on. Do you feel overwhelmed? Uh, or, 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 sorry, I should, probably should rephrase that. When you feel overwhelmed, um, what do you what do you do to help get you through that? Uh, my my current project <laughs> is to set up a, a school or part of a school for teen parents. Uh, too many of teen parents drop out of school, yeah. and I was concerned this was a very big project because I was in touch with the Advocate for Children and Young People who put me in touch with Catholic Care and they were very supportive and they were then putting me in touch with people in the HOPE program and I was working which supports young parents uh, and Brave Foundation which also supports young parents uh, outside of the school context and Warwick Curie was going to be the lead um, organisation in the consortium and we're looking to find somewhere we can accommodate young parents and perhaps a, a disused um, nunnery or monastery or church property would be appropriate and it was a very very big project and I said to someone you know am I taking on too much here is this is this too big a project and he said well look when doors start to close you'll get a message uh, doors aren't closing so you know, if it's a big project, find supporters who will come with you. If it's worthwhile, people will join you and they will support you. And it's extraordinary, the resources that can be made available. It is a little frustrating you've got to work through levels of government or levels of decision-making. Yes. But perseverance is all it takes. 
Yeah. Uh, we've had the similar situation trying to set up a new school. Our fourth campus required a lot of work with the Department of Planning and Environment. And there was a, a regulation put in which was to help schools be easier to start new schools. And it was having the contrary effect. So um, with support, we've been able to get a change in the legislation through the minister. Amazing. So other schools like ours can now open up without the red tape, without two years of going through ministerial decision-making. Yeah. Uh, and it's just a case of people being able to see what's the goal, what change has to be made, who can support it and lobby it, and you can get there. Makes It's good. Just persevere and bring people on site and you will, you will achieve what you need to achieve. So if somebody says something can't be done, is that a, is that a challenge to you to, to show them that they're wrong? Some cases. <laughs> yes, it could be. I, I think it's more yeah. a case of is it worth doing? If it's worth doing, more than one person will agree that it's worth doing. Wow. And a group of people can achieve great things. Wow, wow, that's um, that's really it's really wonderful to hear and to and to see your tenacity. I think is really um, is really inspiring, and to show people that that um, despite the the structure and the regulation, there is space to do something really remarkable. And and it's obviously uh, your school is a is a testament to that. I mean, it, it can be done. We can create amazing environments for people that when they leave they feel like they can contribute something meaningful to the world and also they are individuals. Yes I think that's true I think people are too readily bound by apparent regulations for example NESA which is our educational governing authority is often seen as highly regulatory. I don't think that one should see it that way when I've been dealing with NESA in lots of different contexts I have found them to be an organisation that just wants the absolute best for, for students. So when I was a new director of studies, I learned that they would never let a student suffer because of the ignorance of the director of studies, for example. And uh, I found that if you come to NESA and say, look, here's a situation, here are young people with a need, here's a proposed solution, can we work with you on this? They are very open-minded. They're very committed people, and all I really want is the best for the student. And so I find that they're not the policemen. They don't, they don't really need that role. They're actually the uh, authority which can enable. And if you work with them to achieve something new or different, they are very, very supportive people. Wow. And so I would encourage educators to look at their governing authorities and say, What's their principle? Their role is to help students. Your role is to help students. Why don't we work together on this instead of seeing one as being against the other? Wow. Wow, that's that's really important, I think, to, to challenge those assumptions and um, a great advice. Thank you. Um, Carolyn, I was just wondering um, if you wouldn't mind sharing one of your most memorable experiences with a student. We all have them as educators. Um, I'm sure there are many, but one that really sticks to mind a real success story this is well okay um this is one of those low key stories it's not what you're expecting but okay. i'm sure it will um, exceed my at the end of year eight or nine yeah i was um talking to each student who would come up and go through their book and talk to me about their year and show me through their book that they'd been working on throughout the year in my science class and this lovely young man called Jason, who was about 14, 
looked at me and we were in about, I would say, the sixth or seventh graded class down. He was in about class six. And he looked at me very seriously and said, being in your class has made me realise that I'm a lot more capable than I thought I was. And now I know there's so much more I can achieve. And I was deeply shocked because wow. he said this very seriously and it was clear that he had undergone an enormous change in that year. And I was shocked because I hadn't noticed. I hadn't noticed what I'd done that had made the difference for him. I thought he was a lovely young man. He was a good student. I enjoyed having him in my class. And something had happened for him in that class that I didn't know about, which had changed his whole perception of himself and his ability. Wow. wow. And it made me realise that as a teacher, we have to be incredibly careful about what we do. Yeah. Because we have influences well beyond our... Uh, control, but we also have influences that we don't recognize at the mm. time. So, you know, if we're not careful, we can have an influence for bad as well as influence for good. Wow. We can hurt people and not mean to. Uh, in this case, apparently I'd, I'd supported him and not meant to. I mean, I mm. accidentally but, supported him. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and wow. 10 years later, I was in a restaurant and he, he came over and spoke to me and dragged me over to meet his family. Uh, and it was obviously still a big deal for him. And I think for me, I could have, I chose between medicine and teaching and I chose teaching. I think doctors do an amazing role, but I think teaching is more important because what we as teachers do influences the lifetime of the person. Wow. It helps them frame who they are. It helps them frame, are they going to go forth into the world as someone who can make a difference in a positive way, make a positive contribution and be a well-adjusted human being with a quality of life or not. Mm. Mm. And we have that power and it's one we need to use wisely and yeah. one we must value. And I think we are very privileged to have that opportunity. Well, I couldn't, uh, I, I couldn't agree more. It's a, it's a wonderful privilege and um, I think one of the things that I realized early on in my career is that there is no such thing as a um, there's no such thing as a throwaway comment because your words are really powerful um, and it's an incredible privilege and especially now as a as a dad to, to young children like I understand the significance of handing over your most precious possession if you like to somebody else to help raise and it really it's so important and such an, an incredible privilege um, to get to do that. I mean, what a uh, what an honour to get to help to shape the lives of young people uh, and something which I never want to take for granted. I never want to think is normal. I always want to be um, in awe of that opportunity to get to shape people because there's nothing more important. Um, and, and I think that every day um, in our school, hundreds uh, of parents kiss their kids goodbye in the morning and they expect me to do my job and look after them and that's a that's an incredible honor an incredible privilege it, it is I, it came home to me particularly when i was running a boarding house where yeah. parents would give up their children for months on end to the school and sometimes i was the teacher but i was also the housemaster yeah. and you you're with those young people from 
7 o'clock in the morning until 9.30 at night. And if they're really naughty and they're running around the dormitory a lot later than that. Wow. But it's uh, it's a big deal. And, and really, you have to be the parent. You, you have to be the person. I remember seeing one little boy in bed crying and I didn't know what to do. So I just gave him my two-month-old baby and said, here, hold the baby. And he completely changed because then he had to look after the baby. It wasn't him that could be homesick and to care for the baby. You know, and then one little kid says, Miss, do you have any string? And so, yeah, what do you want it for? And he said, oh, I want to tie it around my tooth and tie it to my cupboard door so I can slam the door and pull my tooth. Hi, <laughs> no, no, I don't think we do. Just I don't do think them. we have any. We've run out of string. Yeah. Yes, yes. Um, oh, you know, why are you crying? Are you upset? You're missing your family. And the kid says, no, no, I'm missing my horse. And wow. all you can do is sit there and give him a hug and say, you know, I can understand. I miss my dog. I understand. Wow. wow. So it's um, it's a very privileged role. We're very fortunate to be able to have it. And I think anyone who chooses teaching makes a wonderful decision. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, Carolyn, it would be amiss of me uh, to ask you about the ongoing um, pandemic that we are all involved in. Um, who knows how long this will last, but what do you think um, it has taught us about the work that teachers do and also the role of schools? I think that parents suddenly realise that teachers don't have a really easy gig. And parents have suddenly realised that homeschooling isn't all that much fun and they appreciate what teachers do a lot more. Mm. So we have found it much easier to work with parents just because they're more responsive and more appreciative as a result of no longer having to do homeschooling. Um, I think that when I'm very, I'm very old and when online learning was first a possibility and everyone thought, oh, wow, we're going to do this there will never be a role for schools. I was always a bit cynical about that because I thought, no, schools really aren't a place where you learn um, how to do maths and, and how to write an essay. Schools are a place where you learn to socialise and where you learn to deal with other people and to work in teams and collaborate and wow. um, communicate and all those important skills to become a functional adult in the community. And so the socialisation role of schools, uh, the social teaching is an incredibly valuable uh, part. And I think the learning from home periods that we've had have really heightened people's awareness of the need for students to be in schools, yeah. interacting with other people, with their friends yeah. and other young people and with other adults, yeah. a variety of adults. And, you know, you see... Students who will behave one way for one teacher and a different way for a different teacher. Uh, and that's what we need to do in the world, isn't it? Yeah. We all have different contexts in which we have to operate. And schools teach all those sorts of things. Yeah. We have a very active outdoor education program in our school. And we take kids on camps. They've never had those experiences. You know, kids in wealthy schools do, but not schools like ours. So... They love it. And they first they're terrified of it. And they come back and say, I'll never do that again. And then they put their hand up for the next camp and the next one because they suddenly realise that being out in nature gives them such um, affirmation and it gives them a chance to see more about themselves and, and find another area in which they can be competent mm. and, and make friends. And so all of that being um, curtailed by lockdown has been 
a really big loss to students in terms of learning opportunities. Yeah. I know that I uh, obviously having two lockdowns in Sydney, um, I was in two different schools and two very different school contexts. Uh, the first one was a school in Fairfield, so uh, quite a similar context to yours. And the second one was in a more affluent area. And seeing the different experiences going online in both schools was very interesting. Um, how did you deal with your uh, diverse uh, school community? Sorry, how did you um, go online with your diverse school community uh, during lockdown. Um, was that a challenge or um, how did you handle that as a school? Yes, a lot of our students didn't have computers. Yeah. So we loaned them computers. Uh, we had to organise internet for some students. Yeah. Um, we also had to do the paper booklets. Yes. Uh, teachers were dropping off booklets and picking up booklets. Yeah. And um, sometimes we had to do a lot of phone support. So our teachers' aides were phoning students every day and working with them. We used Canvas to do online conferencing, uh, and we actually had someone ring every single student every single day just to make sure they were safe. We never closed our school, even during lockdown, because um, sometimes school is the only safe place. Um, homes can be too full of drugs and alcohol, parents who are resentful not being able to go out and domestic violence and our students needed to be able to escape some of those environments. Yeah. And so we had to remain open all the time. And we had up to 25% of our students come right through lockdown every day. Wow. It's, I think it's a real testament to, um, to your school being such a safe place, a place where students can go to and feel valued and, and known and, um, and sadly, that's not that wouldn't always be the case at home. But it, I think it just emphasises the importance of of what you're doing in creating that that lighthouse um, for the community, which is really wonderful. So thank you for everything that you're doing. In Fairfield has a um, Fairfield Southwestern Sydney has such a um, special place in my heart. I'm very aware of the diversity and also the wonderful opportunities. Um, so yeah, thank you for everything you're doing. And I was just wondering. If you had any advice um, for new teachers as they begin to uh, look ahead at 2022? On my very first day, my very first school, the principal got up in front of us all and said, and for those of you who are new, the advice is don't smile till Easter. Okay. I would not give that advice. <laughs> I think that it's I important. have heard that advice as well, and I thought, yes. oh, I don't know if I want no, to. No, no, I think... The important thing is to be aware that relationships are what will make you or break you as a teacher. Mm. And to build relationships with your students is vital. It doesn't mean come to their level and be their friend. They don't want that. What they want is a friend who's not at their level. Yeah. They want a friend who is older, a friend who might be wiser, a friend who is more stable, a friend they can come to when they want advice. But they do want someone with whom they can have a relationship, someone who's genuine, who does what they say. Whether that's if you do something good, I will give you the prize or the present, or whether it's if you do something bad, I will imply, employ this sanction, I promise. Yeah. You've got to just do what you say. You must be consistent, you must be fair, and you must do what you're saying, what you say, because if they if they see you renege on the bad, they'll think you'll renege on the good. Yeah. So consistency, 
calmness and relationship, I think, are important. And smile. Goodness me. Would you make uh, us be glad to see them? Would you I give that same advice for um, for new school leaders? Smile, be consistent. Absolutely. Yeah. My um, when I was a first first a principal, I had two nicknames among the girls. One of them was Smiley. And the other one was the Queen. I'm not quite sure to take those. <laughs> I, I think that's. I, I've been called annoyingly optimistic, so probably in a similar way. Um, you're not sure how to take that, but you think it's a compliment. Not too sure. Yeah. Well, it was when, when someone says, "Can I borrow your robe because I'm going to play you in the sixth form review or the year twelve <laughs> review?" Then you begin to see what they think of you, and it was quite nice. I was actually quite happy about it. Lovely, lovely. Good to hear. I think that's there could be worse nicknames. Um, worse could nicknames be. Called, yeah. Yes. Um, what currently, Carolyn? What currently has your attention? What are some of the big things that you are trying to do in twenty twenty two? I think the growth of the alternative schools sector is really important. Mm. Uh, I think there's it's really important that we have opportunities for uh, kids who just don't fit the mold. Yeah, and so. Uh, I'll be looking at support. We I've set up a group of uh, independent schools, which are alternative schools, and we have a conference. We try to do a conference every year. COVID has stopped that. We hosted the first one at Warakiri in Blacktown, and then Youth Off the Streets hosted one, and now a school in Bathurst is going to host one, school set. But we try really hard to provide um, professional development for very small organisations doing a very good job with kids who don't fit in the mainstream. So growth of the alternative school sector, I think, is important. Um, My main focus at school is a research project I'm working on with La Trobe University to uh, identify ways we can help students in stage five and six, so students of 15 plus, to become literate. We found that only 20% of our students have a, a reading age of 15 plus. And in one of our campuses, 4% have a reading comprehension age of 15 plus. And all our students are over 15. So it seems to me that many of them are our students. They have dropped out because they can't interface with the curriculum. They can't access the texts. They they can't do the work teachers expect them to do. So they play up and get thrown out of class or they just don't come to school. Yeah. And then they become further behind and they don't come to school because they're further behind. It's a horrible, disempowering mm. place where they are afraid of looking stupid and they're not stupid. Yeah. So we're looking at a two-year research project working with a speech pathologist to um, test every single student in uh, across two campuses, one's a control group and one is the intervention group, and develop individualised uh, literacy intervention strategies so that these young people can leave our school more powerful, more able to cope with the demands of their citizen oh. community. What a wonderful research project, and I, I, I can't wait to hear more about it. It sounds um Sounds wonderful. Um, just a, a couple more questions, um, if you don't mind. Um, what would you like your legacy in education to be? When you look back on your diverse and vast career in education, uh, what does your legacy look like? I think I'd like students to look back and say, what she did for me was to help me become the person I am today. 
she gave me a chance. She inspired me to go higher. She changed my aspiration from survival to achievement. And she made me realise I was valuable and worthwhile. And I think that's what I would like. Um, people sometimes say, if you could have a dinner party with anyone you like, you want, who would you have as your guests? And the answer is my students. I want to see them down the track. And it's absolutely fabulous when you meet someone in the lift and they say, did you ever teach Esquire's Girls High? Yes. And then you learn their story and what they've done and who they are and what they've become. And, and it's such a celebratory time to see the young person you knew at 15 and here they are at 40 and wow, look at this. Wow. That's what I would like to have as my legacy. Lovely. Well, I think you are well on your way to achieving that legacy. Uh, it's really, um, it's really lovely to hear that you'd like to be surrounded by former students um, at a dinner party and just hear their stories. I think it's really powerful. Um, a final question, uh, Carolyn, where can we find out more about you and also the incredible work that your school is involved in? We have a website, which is warakiriacollege.nsw.edu.au. And there's lots of information there. And there's also some videos on that website which uh, shows some of our students being interviewed. And I think that anyone who's interested would learn more from listening to the students and listening to me. Great. Okay, fantastic. Well, Carolyn, I'm so grateful that you would, uh, that you would take the time to talk with me today. Uh, your school is a, a constant source of inspiration um, and it's really lovely to spend a few moments today talking with you and hearing um, your heart for your incredible students. So thank you so much for taking the time. Well, thank you, Matthew, and thank you for your contribution to education by having these podcasts so we can all learn from each other. We're a community and it's great to be able to share and learn from each other. So thank you for this contribution. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the Art of Teaching podcast today. I hope that you, like me, got some valuable insights out of our discussion. For show notes, please visit theartofteachingpodcast.com. I've one favour to ask. If you could please head to the iTunes page of the podcast and rate and review the episode. This would really help to get the interviews and resources to as many people as possible. Also, I've created a private Facebook group so that we can continue the discussion after each episode. The link is in the show notes. Thank you again for listening and until next time.